It's a kick in the grass across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Dan Riccio, Jeff Blair getting you ready for Canada and Croatia tomorrow and recapping what's happening right now at the World's Cup as uh, another game has just gone into the books. France beating Denmark on a couple of goals from Kylian Mbappe. You might have heard of that guy. It's Dan, it's Jeff. Uh, We've got producers Devang Desai and Derek Brandeo with us as well today. We'll get to uh, a lot of that stuff, but um, (laughs) after our post-match, I don't know if I quite understood just how much of a bleep storm John Herdman had started with his F Croatia comment, Blair. Yeah, I don't think I don't think any of us did. I I, I think we, um, I I guess we shouldn't be surprised. You know, when he made it, and I was thinking about this driving home after the show. Uh, I remember Joe Torre when he managed the Yankees, being asked one time, "Why are you so good with the media? Why do you give the media you know, half an hour every day, answer all the questions?" And his response was, well, that's a half hour that none of you folks are in the clubhouse bothering the players. And I thought about this when I heard John Herdman's comments, and I mentioned this on social media. What's happened since then? Anybody talking about Alfonso Davies missing the penalty? Nope. Nope. Anybody talking about Jonathan David's no-show? Nope. Anybody talking about the fact we still haven't got a goal? Nope. There's only one thing anybody's talking about, and that's John Herdman's cojones. Which, from where I am, I mean, this is right out of, uh, I I don't know, is it Josie Mourinho? It's right out of the coach's playbook here. (laughs) Going into a big game, bring bring it all on me. Like, dump on me. I'm the guy that can go in front of the media and laugh it off and tell jokes about my wife and all this stuff and da-da-da-da-da. I mean, I I know that we look at John... And we look at the Canadian team, right? And we go, well, boy, they're these plucky underdogs. And, you know, and, and they're, boy, they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're up against it. And don't underestimate John Herdman's abilities to play the mental game. He's very, very good at it. I've seen it firsthand in the Olympics. He's extremely good at this. And I think a lot of this was probably predetermined. I'm not entirely buying this was a spur-of-the-moment emotional outburst. I think at some point John Herdman thought, I got to do something to just pull the pressure off of these guys. And look for John Herdman. This is, it's not hurting him either because he's selling himself right now to the soccer world. And, he, and people know who John Herdman is today. If they, didn't, if they didn't 72 hours ago, they sure as hell do now. That might be one of the... Um... Stories we really have to dive into as uh, as the tournament goes on is just how much is uh, John Herdman's star growing because of this thing. Uh, you know, we, we're already seeing some Canadian players maybe uh, moving on to new clubs. Alistair Johnson being linked to Celtic. Tejon Buchanan maybe uh, moving on from Club Bruges already uh, with uh, some heightened attention around him. And John Herdman, you know, going back to May, there was uh, some reported interest in from English Premier League clubs or clubs in England regarding John Herdman, so this is only going to grow his star a little bit more. It also helps that he's way more charismatic than uh, the other English guy who's oh, uh, yeah. managing in this, uh, in this I, tournament. 
we want to talk about moral victories. Kevin De Bruyne basically saying Belgium is too old to win the World Cup. That counts as three points, right? Canada might not have won. They might not <laughs> no, have won listen, on Wednesday. You know what that, that is? Counts, that counts as a win, correct? That that's destroyed also... Belgium. Guys, that's also Kevin De Bruyne doing what John Herdman's doing. Right. Right. <laughs> that's Kevin De Bruyne manning up and, you know, that's, I'll, I'll say something. I'll attract. Listen, that goes on. That goes on yeah. at World Series. It goes on at Stanley Cups. It just does. It's... It's it's part of the deal, but yeah, I, you know. Well, I, I, you know what, Blair? Do you like, think I Croatia be- needs motivation <laughs> against Canada. Come on. Yeah, that's that's kind of like my thing here is you know Ivan uh, Perisic this morning talking about how uh, they're even more motivated for this match. I mean, it's basically a must win for you, right? You you've got to win this match. If you didn't have enough motivation already, what did you need John Herdman to to poke the bear for? It just doesn't it doesn't really add up. I get it. You know, they're putting it on the whiteboard and giving themselves an extra thing to look at to rile themselves up but you know i don't quite get the comparison of like you know john herdman saying f croatia is equal to uh you know england yelling it's coming home till the cows come home uh and riling up croatia being like how come this trophy belongs to you which is what they did four years ago yes. before they beat uh england in the semi-final at the at 2018 we should write a song about it yes <laughs> it's it's totally for me um you know, is is John Herdman pushing the right buttons? And everything he's ever done with this uh, with this program has been about pushing the right buttons. And yeah, your two star players, as we talked about it in the post game, your two star players were arguably the ones that uh, deserved the most critique coming out of that opening match. Davies for the missed penalty, maybe uh, trying to do a little bit too much in the second half, not including his teammates, not working with his teammates enough. At least that's how I felt. And then Jonathan David uh, had, uh, you know, too many poor touches to count, really, uh, through the mi- the minutes that he played through match one. So for me, that you're right, Blair. This is, this is all about Herdman trying to deflect some of that criticism. And... To be honest, I, I wonder what he has cooked up for Croatia in this upcoming match because it's an entirely different animal than what they just played in Belgium. And now the book is out, too. Like, everybody knows Canada's not afraid to go out and play, and they're they're not just going to be a park-the-bus kind of team. Croatia's got more tape to work on against Canada, and they'll they'll be more ready maybe than uh, than what it looked like Belgium was to start the last match. I, I wondered how we look at John Herdman's decision to tackle this this way. It'll be so skewed by the result, obviously. Like, if it goes yeah. well on Sunday and everything works out and Alfonso Davies looks like the Alfonso Davies of old, masterstroke. What a, what a manager, what a decision. If it goes the other way, we're talking about why were we maybe devoting this much time to maybe this conversation <laughs> and why did we poke the bear in Croatia who is just stocked with players who have been here before, but... Looking will it at be the after- poking the bear, or yeah, will it just what? be you know <laughs> Croatia being a, a far better team than Canada is on talent, which they are. Exactly, and I there's something to be said for just being honest about things as well. Like, what's he supposed to say? We're going to go in there and be humble, and we're going to go in there and respect our <laughs> opponents to a ridiculous degree. It's the World Cup. Like, this is the it. Only, the only thing I found a little odd, and. I will admit this didn't occur to me at, at the moment, and it actually occurred to me, and it was actually the Guardian football pod. I think they spent three and a half minutes talking about Canada the other day. Um, 
that got my attention. (laughs) And the more I thought about it, the more I wondered about this. I'm not a big fan. This is just maybe old dude talking. I'm not a big fan of team meetings in the middle of the pitch after a game. I think what you say to your team, you say in the sanctity of the locker room. You don't do it out. You don't put it out there in public. Again, I'm sure John Herdman was doing the whole, like, look around at this, look at the stadium. You guys just played, you know, the second-best team in the world, the second-ranked team in the world. You lost one. I, I mean, all of this, all of the stuff. That That's the only thing I thought might be a little grandstandish. But, you know, that's just, you know, that that's just me. It just you don't often see it done like that. And that yeah. was uh that was everything about Herdman a little bit grandstandish though, Blair. You know, he, he, he tries to use every little thing possible that he can to get everything out of his club, of his roster, each and every tournament. Yeah, I yeah don't... and he's he's trying to create a cu- he's said he's been very open. He's trying to create a culture, he's trying to create yeah. moments. Again, I don't think he'll ever come out and say it, but I think John Herdman probably went in this tournament thinking, you know what, there's a real good chance that we come out of here with maybe one point. It'd be nice yeah. if we got a couple of goals and kind of laid a marker down. And and I think that's what, what a lot of this is about, is sort of announcing Canada's presence on the international stage. And, um, yeah, I, I, mean, I, think it's, <clears throat> I think it's good. I, I certainly don't think it hurts. And I think in the long run... <clears throat> In the long run, I, I don't think Luka Modric is going to need any extra motivation against Canada. This is probably his last World Cup. I mean, if the Croats want motivation, there's your motivation. You know, win one for your, arguably one of the best players in your country's history. Uh, I think it had twofold effect. I think it's uh, kind of, um, he's, he kind of noticed that his team was a bit nervous in the, ba- in the final third. This was kind of a way of like giving them some cojones, I think. You know, you gotta retire that like phrase, gotta, by the way. We've used cojones at least. Well, I mean, like you want the team to take the managers. Oh, can we say balls then? <laughs> okay, balls. as as our favorite, as one of our favorite uh, Torontonian managers would say, it's not cut in time. <laughs> oh boy! And uh, I think that's what one of the, the the aspects. I think the other thing too is maybe uh, put a little more emphasis into the game and get Croatia to play a higher up tempo game, which would probably really benefit Canada as opposed to Croatia uh, with our speed, especially. I mean, I think that's. I think maybe that would. An, an alternative kind of benefit to this, and I don't know as a, a you know as a Canadian who's been waiting for this stage for so long, I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have nothing. Listen, I I, yeah. I came out of that that other than the fact that I I will go to my grave thinking Jonathan David should have stepped up and taken the ball and and taken the penalty kick. Um, other than that, I I had nothing. I I had no negative takeaways uh, from that that match. What I think will be really interesting here, Kevin De Bruyne is a great player. Croatia's midfield on balance is far, far superior. Far superior. Kevin didn't even play Belgium's. midfield in that game. I hate the way no. they, they play him in that team, too. Correct. But my, my point is they're coming up against a team that has arguably the second, third best midfield in this tournament. And that's going to present a lot of issues for Canada. I think... I think Croatia is going to be harder to press, harder to uh, dictate play to than Belgium. I thought that going into the tournament, I still believe it. 
You know, uh, John Herdman did call uh, Croatia's midfield the best in the world right now. Uh, hard to disagree, given maybe some of the injuries that are uh, or have you know, taken away players from, from France, maybe, or, or some others. Yeah, France throw... looks like they're suffering, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, terribly, terribly suffering right now. Adrian Rabio still being, uh, <laughs> still doing his best Michel Platini uh, impression as, as the tournament goes on. But... Um, it's not far off, you know, whether it's uh, still coaching tact by uh, by John Herdman. He's not too far off in saying Luka Modric is the best midfielder of this generation, right? I think a lot of us would, would agree that's with that. My that's, that's, yep, what, uh, that's my opinion. That's what Canada's going up against, right? So this is, this is going to be a massively different match. And one, I, I'm really we're we're gonna dive into it a little bit more onto what changes John might make. He hinted at potentially making some in his uh, in his uh, news conference this morning. So we'll dive into that and some of the uh, nuances of the Croatia matchup rather than just uh, the run up conversation to the match. But uh, let's bring in our first guest of the show today. It is Grant Wall, journalist at uh, GrantWall.com. He is in. Qatar following this World Cup. Uh, thanks for this, Grant. How are you? How are you? Uh, we're, we're doing well. Um, you know, uh, just uh, sort of feeling all the feels that American fans have felt for a long time, and that's uh, following our country through a World Cup and the, the wild wave of emotions that that can bring. It's, uh, it's, it's a new feeling for us Canadians. But by my understanding, uh, Canada's been one of the, the, the teams that's won over a lot of hearts in Qatar so far. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just the performance was excellent against Belgium, and you felt badly that they didn't get a result out of it, at least a tie, because you look at the uh, the way Canada controlled most of the game against the team that was a World Cup semifinalist four years ago and had a penalty, had it saved by maybe the best goalkeeper in the world. Actually, not maybe, he is. Um, and a lot of shots, not a lot of precision in the end, and I think that was the disappointment for Canada, but like I feel like this team can get points in this group and uh, still has a chance to advance. You know, Grant, I'm interested because I think a, a lot of us in Canada going into this tournament, I mean, had, had I think kind of simple goals. I mean, I'm sure there are people who want Canada to advance out of the group stage. I, I wanted to see them get a goal, uh, maybe get a point, and I'm already looking ahead to the next World Cup, and I'm wondering if, if the feeling is the same as far as, as the American team is concerned, that you know, this is kind of because they're young. They, they've got some young players as well, and this is kind of a, a step towards twenty twenty six. Yeah, I mean that topic has come up a little bit this week. You know, and it makes sense that it would. But whenever it has come up, like the U, with the U.S. players, they say like, "Look, I'm not guaranteed to be on that team." You know, I'm thinking about this World Cup right now that's in front of me, and. They think, okay, yeah, maybe they can make a deep run in 26. They'd like to make a deep run now. And so I totally get that perspective uh, from the players. But, like, from observers and people who are excited about what's happening with soccer in North America, then, yeah, of course. I mean, I think there's a real feeling that in 26, uh, it's not just about hosting the tournament. It's about Canada and the U.S. and Who knows? Maybe Mexico going going deep in the tournament. Yeah, it's uh, – it... They're both young teams that feel like they, they've still got a lot of potential and, and opportunity coming in the next uh, couple of World Cups, especially the next one here on home soil for the respective countries. Um, 
Describe what uh, what this experience has been like for you covering this uh, this Qatari World Cup. You know, it's interesting. This is my third trip to Qatar, so I knew what to expect in terms of like what's on the ground here. Obviously, it's very different coming during a World Cup. Um, but, you know, like it's a different place than any of the World Cups I've been to before. This is my eighth men's World Cup. And, uh, and some of it is is different in a positive way in the sense of everything is very close together and logistically I'm not flying on five hour plane flights and wasting my time doing things like that. But uh, at the same time, uh, there's some, some downside things too. I mean, like I've had a couple of security incidents, uh, getting my accreditation, doing very innocuous things like taking a picture of, a, of the world cup slogan on the wall and the security guard saying I had to delete my photo from my phone and then uh, for the first U.S. game, wearing a, a simple rainbow shirt with a soccer ball on it to support LGBTQ rights in a country where being gay is illegal. And FIFA had said before the tournament, those types of things would be no problem at all. And I was detained for half an hour by security guards demanding that I take the shirt off. I refused. Eventually, I got in with my shirt on, did not take it off. And it was more annoying than anything. Uh, but a sign of um, kind of what you're dealing with here. And uh, so there's all sorts of stuff, too. If you go to my site, like I, I came here in February and spoke to migrant workers about whether the new worker protection laws are actually being followed on the ground. And to a large extent, they're not. So um, Qatar's got a lot of human rights issues in its record, not just in the past, but in the present. Grant, is there any part of you that thinks that when this is over and when the circus leaves town that there will be that, that any inroads will have been made in um, furthering the cause of workers rights or human rights workers rights in particular i know it's one and the same thing but i mean qatar is a nation that depends largely on on a lot of imp imported labor. I mean, a lot of the heavy lifting there is not done necessarily by Qataris. And I know one of the things FIFA likes to say is, look, you know, we we hope that we can create a better society as a result of having a World Cup in a place like that. Do you think it's going to make any difference at all? Uh, will it change attitudes or open minds in Qatar at all? You know, it's a really complex answer and, and topic and situation because even you know, all of us, I think, who follow this closely feel like real progress has been made in the sense of the worker protection laws that were adopted here in, in 2019. And uh, that's not happening even elsewhere in the Gulf. And it probably would not have happened when it did unless Qatar had been the World Cup host because there was so much pressure from global union groups around the world. Uh, and and Qatar did take action. And I think it's going to be pretty difficult to roll back those laws in the changes that took place because uh, the UN's International Labor Organization group is permanently based here in Qatar now. And they work with the Qatari government to try and, and make, you know, enforce these new laws. So I, I don't know if I, I don't see that rolling back after the World Cup, but they do need to get much, much better on enforcement. Uh, they got a long ways to go on that. Um, and we'll see if they can do that. Um, 
you know, do I think it was the right choice to award Qatar the World Cup? No, I don't. Um, I feel like you should wait until uh, a country gets its human rights record in order before you award them the world's biggest sporting event. And, you know, like even the U.S. Department of Justice has been very clear saying they have forensic evidence that uh, Qatar bought FIFA voters, uh, at least three, probably more, uh, in, in getting this in the first place. So um, that part of it's disappointing. Um, and you really do hope that FIFA, after having two straight men's World Cups in authoritarian countries, moves away from that. And that we all move away from that because, you know, like people shouldn't have to get burner phones when they come to Qatar or Russia you know, or China for a major sporting event. And that's what you have to do in these places. I was going to say, how much of uh, of all this is felt on the ground, or is it, you know, hey, a World Cup is on, we're we're going match to match. Like, do do you feel uh, some of this anxiety from from the fans that are there to to watch the games? It depends. I mean, like, you know, they've been confiscating rainbow colored stuff from fans. Uh, they're still doing that tonight here, by the way, at the, at the side of the U.S. England game. So. You know, you can't trust FIFA and what they say because uh, they can't back it up. Um, it's a weird mix. I mean, like, the games in some cases have been very fun. It's a World Cup. It's the best sporting event in the world, in my opinion. And so that is there. And yet, just as when I'm in China or Russia, when I'm here in Qatar, I, I, am, I operate as if I'm being watched, as if the government is tapping into my phone and my laptop. And I've got nothing to hide. The only thing I have to hide, actually, is the identities of the workers I've spoke to and still message with, and that's really important to me. Um, but, you know, like, it's crazy to go to a sporting event and you, you just you feel very clear that you're being watched. Moving on a little bit to uh, to the stuff we've seen on the field so far. This is a different World Cup, obviously, in, in terms of timing. There was you know, some talk about the weather. Uh, of course, we've got five subs now, all of this stuff. Is is there any sort of um, any sort of top-level or, or upper-level takeaways you have from what you've seen so far now that we're into, you know, the second match day of, of, of the group stages, things that maybe have stood out to you in terms of, I don't know, in terms of tactics, in terms of, again, the timing of the event, things of that nature? You know, I mean, early on I said something to the effect of on my Twitter, small sample size, but the Asian teams are really underperforming, and that's totally changed, right? So mm -hmm. Qatar and Iran were really poor in their first two games, but since then uh, Iran has beaten Wales, and Saudi Arabia has beaten Argentina, and South Korea uh has gotten a point against Uruguay, Japan's beaten Germany. So the Asian teams, now that we have the larger sample size, are doing quite well in this Asian-hosted World Cup. Uh, and we'll see if that can continue. Um, you know, I, there have been quite a few zero-zeros uh, compared to previous World Cups. I've been trying to get a sense of why that might be, and maybe it's just because teams are cagey in the first match day in particular, um, and you had certain matchups that might have led to that. But... Um, you know, in terms of, like, tactical trends, I think you got to give it a little more time, um, you know, as we get farther into the tournament. I mean, like, 
One thing I would say is the temperatures are generally pretty conducive to good soccer. I'm glad they moved this World Cup to November, December for that Mm -hmm. reason. If they were going to have it in Qatar as opposed to June and July. Um, And then, uh, you know, I look at other stuff concerning, I don't know, um, just it's earlier in the club season. And so maybe players are a little bit fresher. They're closer to the, the time off they had in the summer. Um, that said, we had a lot of injuries coming into the tournament that have kept some very good players out. We just got the news that Neymar has also just injured himself and is going to be out for at least the group stage. So that's a bit of a bummer. But, you know, so far I think this, is, this has been an interesting tournament and we'll just have to see how it develops from here. Yeah, the, the Neymar injury uh, is interesting, but uh, I would say uh, for a lot of people, the, the team that Im- impressed the most through the first match day was Brazil. It felt like uh, they brought back the the Samba Brazilians, the Seleção, the Joga Benito that that uh, we've seen from from Brazil, but maybe not in recent World Cups as much. Yeah, and Rosalinho's goal was the goal of the tournament so far. So that was brilliant. Yeah, really fun. It felt like it felt like an event. You know, to watch Brazil and, and they're under real pressure because it's been 20 years since they've won a World Cup and you really feel like there's a gap that's developed between the top European teams and the rest of the world, including the best South American teams. Uh, you know, like there was four European teams in the semifinals four years ago. So I think Brazil is, they need to kind of show what they can do here again. And I think they're capable of it. I guess the question is whether they'll do it. How surprised or slash disappointed were you uh, in Argentina's first match? Disappointing, obviously, to lose to Saudi Arabia. Uh, You know, that was not something I thought was even possible heading into the game. And even at halftime, I was like, you know, once Messi put Argentina ahead, they're going to be fine. They'll be in cruise control. They've gone 36 games without a loss. They were my pick to win this thing, and you know they still could. But um, that was uh, they're going to have to be or going to have to hope to be 2010 Spain that lost its first game and rallied to win the World Cup. I mean, like we'll see. I mean, I think this game against Mexico is really important for Argentina. Obviously, to, I, I think Argentina's in better shape than Germany is. By the way, I think Germany could go out against Spain mm-hmm. in game two, but. Um, but it's important for Argentina not to sort of take Mexico lightly and uh, make sure they get the three points. It's, it's suddenly turned into a very interesting group where you feel like all four of those teams have a shot now at advancing. You know, uh, France it seems to be on track to buck the trend of the uh, the defending champion uh, going out in the group stage. They looked pretty brilliant. There was a lot of maybe concern with all the injuries they'd suffered. But uh, a- as far as a reigning champion, um, they look to still be one of the favorites. Uh, how did they look to you in their first match? They really rebounded well from going down early to Australia yeah. and dominated, you know, after that. And... You know, Olivier Giroud just finds ways to score goals. Uh, really impressive. I know he didn't score a goal in the last World Cup, but he was important to them. And, and if he's going to add something even more in this tournament, that's that's big because they've lost some really key pieces. Um, but they're France, and like their depth's incredible. So guys have filled in. Uh, you've got some guys returning. Uh, Rafael Varane sounds like he's got a decent shot to, to be back in the starting lineup. And, you know, like... I, 
I, I think they drew a fairly easy group. Otherwise, I mean, I'm always concerned about that defending champion going out in the group because we've seen it happen so many times. But I think they're going to get out of it. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Grant Wall. And uh, also, uh, I guess uh, our listeners can subscribe to GrantWall.com and follow along with your journey there. Yeah, please do. It's uh, my own operation. I feel really good about what I'm putting out there in terms of quality and looking for subscribers. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Grant. Enjoy the rest of the tournament, and hopefully we'll talk soon. Thanks, Grant. Travel yeah, safely. My pleasure. Take care. There is Grant Wall uh, joining us here on a kick in the grass across the Sportsnet Radio Network. How will Canada line up against Croatia? What should the lineup changes John Herdman make ahead of that match? That's coming up next on a kick in the grass. More Leafs, more Raptors, more Blue Jays. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dan Richo and Jeff Blair. We've got producers Devang Desai and Derek Brandeo with us on the eve of Canada's second match at this World Cup in Qatar. We've got Croatia, the runners-up in the previous tournament. So, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about the, the run-up and, of course, uh, the, the comment from, from John Herdman. Um, as we get closer to kickoff here, Blair, do you think uh, John Herdman's... Uh, going to make any changes to his lineup i mean i i really liked what what and i know he didn't he missed a couple of headers i get that <laughs> but i really yeah. liked what kyle laren uh gave canada uh off the bench yeah and, as a sub and i i will be interested in seeing whether or not he gets the start and whether or not sam Atakube gets the start the other thing and i don't know how john herdman necessarily wants to play this but I think you have to have some concern about Alistair Johnson and Richie. I think Richie Larea is on a yellow, is he not? I know Alistair Johnson is for sure. I don't know if Richie uh, Richie Larea is. He may not be, but I, but be the rare occasion when he's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That may be the one thing that I'm kind of keeping uh, that I'm kind of keeping an eye on. And I don't know how you play that if you're John Herdman because uh, you know it, if you lose to if you lose to Croatia. What you do against uh, Morocco probably isn't going to be enough to get you through. So I like what Alistair Johnson gave him. I'm, I'm not entirely certain there's a lot of other options there. So, yeah. but that the the main thing I'm interested in is 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 Kyle Laren and and whether or not he starts or comes off the bench. I, I will pose to you guys with the idea that looking at Croatia and looking at where they may be susceptible to uh, breaking down, looking at their center backs mainly. I don't want to pile on Dejan Lovren, but I see that and I think, how can you not go David and Laren together? How can you not basically try and unleash everything you have because we're looking at the possibility of that Morocco game not really mattering, like Jeff said. So, with that in mind, do you just unleash everything? <sighs> I, I don't know about the Morocco game not really mattering. If Canada gets a draw here, they'll have a point. Croatia will have two. Uh, I think we can assume maybe Morocco loses to, to Belgium. Maybe that would be a poor assumption on my part. But um, 
let's say they do, now all of a sudden you go into the final group stage match and no team in the group has more than three points, and Belgium and Croatia are playing against each other. Right, so so you could you could theoretically go into the final match with a draw and say Canada with a win will have a chance to qualify and get through this group on just four points. Yeah, they have to get at least a draw here against Croatia, of course. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That that that's what makes me think you have to, you know, you have to play as if this is your elimination game, and if if you get that point or you get the win, then you you know you worry yeah. about you worry about tomorrow because a lot of things a lot of things can happen but the only thing that kind of the only thing that kind of concerned me a little bit about Laren and, and David is I thought that when Kyle Laren came in the game Jonathan David disappeared even more yeah and I still think I said this at the start of the I I still think Jonathan David has to have a big tournament um or a big two games for this team to have you know, to have a chance of of advancing. I understand Alfonso Davies is the star. I get all that, but you know, this is this is the tournament where how, how many goals have we seen scored out scored outside of the box? One, I think Cody Gakpo, One. maybe. Yeah, that's it. You need a guy. I think you need a guy like Jonathan David to really come through here, and and whatever they can do to free him up or put him in a better in a better situation would be fine with me. And I also like I, I'm also a big fan of having a having my forward having a striker come off the bench too. As opposed to sort of having both of them out there uh at at the start of the game and then having to try and pivot off that. I, I think, uh, sorry, I, I think two strikers just takes away from the midfield and we all know the strength from uh well, Croatia. So that leads me to my next question and I think maybe the obvious answer is Alfonso Davies, when I ask who is under the most pressure for this game on the Canadian side, because weirdly, I think it might be Stefan Estacchio because of, because of basic, this is now the final boss almost in terms of Luka Modric versus Estacchio and measuring yourself up and seeing mm-hmm. where you stand and seeing if you can win that battle, you might win the match. So how much does that rely on him? I mean, he just kept Kevin De Bruyne in his in his pocket here uh, in the last match. So that was that was pretty impressive. Uh, the, the midfield is is going to be very difficult for Canada to win in this match, and we know that. Um, can Eustachio do that on his own? I mean, they've got Brozovic and, and Kovacic to to play off of as well. So it it, it seems like a lot for Eustachio, and I I do wonder if. If they change the midfield for this match, I, I'm not sure Atiba Hutchinson starts tomorrow. I don't think he should. To be honest, that's another thought. No, that that's another that's another thought I had. The the only thing about that is that Canada's so so, you know, they're so they're so weak at the back. I I really think you need Hutchinson in there at the start uh, to settle things down. I mean, that's the one thing he does do. You know, I'm not going to yeah. say no. It's not true. It's not the only. Well, he doesn't he does. misplace a lot of passes. But, right. You know, if exactly. you're going to start Ishmael Kone or uh, exactly. uh, maybe a, maybe Osorio maybe gets the start tomorrow as well. Uh, you know, I I would just have more confidence that that Atiba's not going to, um, you know, make too many missed passes in the midfield. In which you know, it, it'll only take one or two quick passes from from Kovacic Modric or any of those guys to to really spring a counterattack for Croatia. That's that to me is the danger zone for Canada if they if they choose not to start Atiba tomorrow. It's the risky run, but I I guess my counterpoint to this is 
the ceiling is relatively low if you do include include Atiba in the lineup against yeah. Croatia. And I think the the alternative is the ceiling is a bit higher if you go off the board and maybe you throw in a, a Jonathan Osorio or an Ishmael Kone. The thing is, though, we can see it drop off pretty quickly and pretty dramatically, and you could be down 2 nil after 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> that's the kind of call, though, that I, I didn't expect John Herman to make with Richie Larea. so that's why I'm kind of thinking we could see something similar on Sunday where this is not nothing that we saw coming. I, I, uh, Derek, I think you w- Derek yeah. makes a good point, too, about starting Laren is... Uh, I, I, I I don't think you want to weaken yourself in the midfield, and yeah. that that look that's going to be it. I'm not saying they're, they're gonna they have to outplay Croatia in the midfield. I don't think they can outplay Croatia in the midfield, but they really they have to force Croatia to work. I guess that's what that's what the one thing that would scare me about about having two forwards. You you've, you're going to have to you want to force Croatia's midfielders to work for what mm-hmm. they get. You don't want to just kind of give them. Give them carte blanche. Well, they're also a team that loves to put crosses into the box. Uh, among the leaders through European qualification of getting crosses into the box, they get their fullbacks up. They get, you know, um, they're going to get Vlasic and Perisic high onto the onto either flank as well and try to throw crosses into the box for Kramaric or whomever is their number nine starting up front. And so uh, I think you still want... Davies and and Buchanan and those types to be able to fill that space when Croatia tries to get up fields on the wings and try to stretch stretch Canada out. But my my thing about my big call for tomorrow would be using Tejon Buchanan as more of a super sub than a starter. I don't I don't know how you guys feel mm. about that, but I I just think he and his speed and his ability to take players on one-on-one if he's coming on with fresh legs for the say the final 25 minutes of the match uh in in my head i love that idea i don't know i think you're playing with fire if you're not trying to pin uh i think most of croatia's attacks will be the crosses like you said earlier so i I think the best way for herdman to take that out is to constantly attack those wings with davies with buchanan with lorea and adukube as you know, the second wave behind them. That's that's the best way, I think, to pin them back and kind of take the game away from the midfield for me. Yeah, I'm... I... I, I mean, I would start... I would start Buchanan and I would have... I would have Lorea coming off the bench. I think he... I think he can... The, the thing that he showed against... The things that he showed against Belgium um, I think can be hugely important in the second half of a game against Croatia. To me, he's almost like a change-up. Yeah. If you throw him on, you're giving Croatia... I mean, you're introducing a wild card. You're giving them something extra something extra to think about. I, I, I think Tejan Buchanan has, has to start. I, I, to me, he's one of the first names I pencil in. When I'm, when I'm. All right, all right, I get it. It was a hot take. It was a hot take. It's fair. You can be, to, you can be honest about it. <laughs> to back to end up though, it's like how many game breakers do we have off the bench? Really, if we're talking about Canada, and yeah. that's kind of switching things up. I, I just saw the Croatian coach's press conference as well. He didn't take kindly at all to John Herdman's <laughs> remarks. I wonder what the temperature is going to be like for this game, and if we are talking about a Richie being involved, or talking, talking about the fact that. There's no love loss at at all here, and I love how this rivalry has kind of happened overnight, (laughs) but here we go. I can't wait for this. 
Uh, and hey, uh, two yellow cards means uh, you've got a suspension. And uh, you mentioned Alistair Johnson, the other player that will be playing on a yellow for Canada in tomorrow's match. None other than Alfonso Davies uh, for the Canadian men's national team. Uh, we'll uh, we'll give some final thoughts and a final tee up on that uh, as it gets closer and as we get closer to the end of today's show. But joining us now, Henry Standage, uh, new podcast out on the the Sportsnet Podcast Network of painting the pitch red, going through uh, the heroic rise, grim decline, and eventual triumph of Canadian men's national team through the lens of some of the most respected soccer voices in the country. Uh, Thanks for this, Henry. Uh, How did this project come together? Hey, uh, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's a privilege to be on the show. And uh, the project came together. I finished my uh, Master's of Journalism at Western in April, needed an internship, uh, got hooked up with Amal Delich, who produces 32 Thoughts, pitched him the show. And then, yeah, we've just been building it ever since. And it's uh, been a story that's super personal to me, a story that I wanted to know more about growing up. So it, it's been a real honor to put together. So, uh <laughs> Grim decline. I mean, it's it's been pretty much nothing but decline for the Canadians men's national team uh, uh, in, uh, until recent memory, like the last four years, really. Uh, how much of this was kind of living in the dirt of the Canadian men's national team? Well, let me push back just a tiny bit on what you just okay, said. Okay, all right, all right. So, so Canada's soccer history is a lot richer than I think a lot of people know. They uh, beat the club that would eventually become Manchester United at the tail end of the 19th century, which, yes, is a long time ago, but they won an Olympic gold in 1904. But, yeah, after that, we started to go through a real decline. And the guys in 86, some of them were working part-time blue-collar jobs just to pay for their soccer careers. And, and those guys were really heroic just to get to the World Cup when only one CONCACAF team made it. And, obviously, they didn't score. That became the narrative rather than how amazing it is they qualified. But, yes, yeah, this chapter that we released today – Chapter two, kind of looking at 1987 to more recent memory, we're calling uh, the Northern Drought. And yeah, I, it was it's pretty tragic. A lot of sad moments in this episode. We're talking Owen Hargreaves choosing to play for England when, you know, he's born and raised in Calgary. We're talking about falling to 122nd in the FIFA World Rankings. Um, so yeah, definitely had to live in the dirt a little bit. But this series did show me... Uh, a lot of the bright moments in Canadian soccer that I think have gone really underrated. When did, did you mentioned Owen Hargreaves playing, uh, playing for England despite you know, growing up in Calgary? There was also, of course, uh, Jonathan de Guzman, who ended up playing for the Netherlands uh, yeah. instead of Canada, while his brother uh, played for Canada. When you look at those situations, we, we talked a little bit about this in the first podcast. I think a lot of people kind of forget about Junior Hoylet. How important was Junior Hoylet's decision to play for Canada in retrospect now? Well, I think you look at Junior Hoylet as somebody who set the foundation for a lot of the guys in the current squad. You look at Canada's squad nowadays, and it's about 70% first or second generation immigrant, which is something we actually explore a lot in the third chapter. But uh, yeah, Junior Hoyle was one of those guys for me when I was 11, 12, watching the Prem every weekend where I was inspired that he was playing for Blackburn at the time. And he actually had a propensity for scoring outrageous goals from outside the box as well, which was pretty cool. Um, 
But yeah, Junior Hoyland is definitely one of the first guys who made that decision to go, no, I have other options. Some of them may be more prosperous right now, but he chose Canada, and in the long term, it paid off for him. And he certainly set the base for guys like Alfonso Davies, who really broke that generational curse that started with Hargreaves and Guzman. So what, what happened after the, the 1986 World Cup, uh, in, in your findings, Henry, that, um, you know, it, it, I'm sure everybody back then thought it was going to be something for Canada to build on, and it wasn't really that, or it definitely didn't turn out to be that. Right. It's, it's really weird how the momentum kind of halted there, right? So that was the first thing I really started to look at. And really the narrative was you had Canadians tuning into a World Cup for the first time watching their team, and they saw them go goalless. So rather than the narrative being this cast of underdogs went 78 minutes and tied France for 78 minutes, who were the reigning European champions, became, I just watched three soccer games for the first time in my life, and I didn't get to see my team score a goal. So there was this backlash and uh, so we're really trying to give that group their flowers, which they deserve. But right after the World Cup as well, four pivotal players on the team were caught taking bribes from match-fixing bookmakers in Singapore, which certainly didn't help issues uh, with the perception of the Canadian men's national team. And then, obviously, we start to develop some players like Craig Forrest, who's heavily involved with the series, and, and guys start moving abroad, but there just wasn't enough depth, really. And... Uh, yeah, and we really fell into this 36-year hole where we had bright spots. We won the 2000 Gold Cup, but we just couldn't quite capture that momentum until, you know, John Herdman came into the fold. So what? how did John Herdman uh, bring in uh, stability to this, to this organization, uh, first on the women's side, and then uh, he's brought it over to the men's side? I mean, Canada soccer uh, essentially has been built by John Herdman, it feels like, over the last uh, decade plus. Yeah, so one of the things I wanted the show to feel like was very cinematic. I, I wanted it to feel like uh, you were almost listening to a documentary. So I was finding lots of audio samples. And my favorite person to find little clips of them talking was John Herdman, because you hear the man speak and you're ready to run through a brick wall. It's, it's incredible. And I'm finding TED Talks from 2016 before he took the men's job. And, and this guy just has such a unique composure yet fire to him that i i think he's just got the total command of any locker room he's in tactically he's very adept you notice with canada i was a little disappointed in our opening match that this wasn't as much the case but i find herdman's subs always make you can always tell they've just came into the game whereas i'm a manchester united fan Ali Gunnar solskjaer his subs wouldn't touch the ball for the first 15 minutes which would always you know uh, annoy me um, Unfortunately, yeah, I've got to say, some of his subs, you didn't want touching the ball. <laughs> As a Manchester United fan, I can say that. Well, maybe that's what he was going for. But, uh, yeah, with Herdman, it's uh, it, what he did for the women's program, who really carried uh, soccer in this country for the first part of the 21st century um, with their rise and becoming one of the top nations. And, and certainly, I don't think the popularity for the men's team would be there if we hadn't won that Olympic gold. So it's worth saying. But um, Herdman, he's just a special character. You even see his response today to the controversy, right? What does he say? He charms the situation perfectly. Oh, my wife said I better be working out before I come home. He's just got a composure, a charm, and uh, I just think he's a special guy. Hey, Henry, uh, really appreciate this. Uh, thanks for the time and look forward to listening.
Yeah, terrific work, Henry. It really is. Yeah, Painting the Pitch Red. Check it out. If you like it, let me know. If you don't like it, um, I don't know. My Twitter's at Stephen Caldwell. But uh, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Henry. There is... uh... Henry Standage, a uh, that's how you new, end an interview. That's how you uh, end an interview, by the way. That's class. <laughs> a uh, a new series uh, up now, uh, painting the pitch red on uh, the history of uh, the Canadian men's national team and uh, some of the good moments, a lot of the bad, and where we are today ahead uh, of uh, Canada, Croatia tomorrow a a massive match uh a, a one where uh, Canada is a massive underdog yet again, um, but. You know, as we all know, uh, anytime a, a World Cup comes around, it, it provides a stage for for players that isn't normally there. And, uh, well, already we're seeing Canadians uh, use that stage. Alistair Johnston is, is moving on to Celtic, it looks like, uh, Jeff. And Tejan Buchanan is getting some high praise and maybe looked at from other clubs. My, my one wonder is, how much uh, more attention does John Herdman get uh, as this tournament continues, that'll well, be I mean, uh, that's he. I'll tell you what he is. Uh, <clears throat> he's got some fans in the English media. If you do any, you know, people like Oliver K and that um, Henry Winter actually has a ex- uh, Henry Winter Henry, and Henry Winter's known him going back for to a the very women's long competition. Time, yeah. They had a relationship then, so yeah, there's yeah, there's something happening with John Herdman for sure. Uh, you just hope uh, it's uh, not in the. Near future. <laughs> I bet he's here through the next World Cup, though. Okay. I really bet you he's here through first, the next guys. World Cup. Let's, West Ham. So. David Moyes' successor. It's happening. Oh. John Herbin <laughs> of West Ham. Uh, he's waiting for right. the Newcastle job. What are you talking about? Uh, we'll uh, we'll see and we'll watch soon. as Canada tries to uh, complete the upset tomorrow over Croatia and maybe, just maybe, get out of the group. We'll be on the Sportsnet Radio Network right after the match to break it all down. It is a kick in the grass. Dan Richo, Jeff Blair, and helped along by Devang Desai and Derek Brandeo. Thanks for listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network.